Good morning, everyone. This month, we've been speaking with folks to get you more acquainted with this year's four ballot propositions. But on this program, today's program, I've got some candidates here in the studio or candidates for the Juno School Board, sitting member D.D. Sorensen and board clerk Dr. M.L. Mackey. Good morning, you two. Good morning. Hey. Thank you for joining us. Now, I don't know about you, but the competition looks fierce this year. (laughs) I am joking, of course. But what was your reaction to not having any opponents? I thought it was really, <clears throat> excuse me, quite disappointing. Um, I, the having having other candidates, you know, helps the community think about different issues in education. You know, different ways to approach things. Uh, I think as close as we're coming now is that Dr. Mackey and I don't always see things in exactly the same light, but it really, you know, is a non-issue right now. <laughs> is it a non-issue, Ella? Well, it's a non-issue in the sense that, you know, it's basically it's too late to have any competition. But, mm. no, I, I think that what we're seeing right now is an outcome of two things. Number one, we've now had 50 years of people saying that government doesn't matter and public servants being basically crapped on. And why does anybody want to run, number one? And number two, um, if you were PERS one, two, or three – you know, you got retirement credit for serving in these positions. Tier four, the kids that are substituting out for the older people um, that, that or people like me or older, um, they don't get retirement credit. So, you know, in the past, we subsidized public service. That subsidy is not here. So we've got a negative and a non-incentive. So I'm not saying that we should build that in, but I'm saying we should recognize that the um, the incentives to serve just aren't there right now. And I think it's sad because I don't mind competition. I think it's a healthy demo- part of a healthy democracy. And frankly, we need healthy competition to keep our own ideas fresh. Before we go much further, tell us just a shorthand about your time here in Juneau. What do you want folks to know about either one of you? I think we'll go to you, Mackie, first. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much an open book. I don't... Um, I don't think there's not anything I haven't already told everybody. <laughs> but um, I think the um, I think the biggest thing about me is is I want to see the board really work toward um, positive reform. Um, I think we need a revisioning process for the for the school district to say where we are going, not necessarily what our values are or what our strategic plan is to maintain the status quo. I think we need a complete revisioning to react to the um, the flat funding that we've effectively felt since 2006 that have basically chewed 30% out of our budget. Um, we can't continue to just raise PTR. We need to think more creatively, and I think engaging the public in something would be... Um, very positive and that's something i want the public to know about me that even though i'm running unopposed i still want to see positive change now the ptr just to make sure folks are pupil pupil teacher ratio right, right. the yeah. number of students per teacher yeah dd is there any fun facts you'd like folks to know about you well um i came to juno in 1981 as a school teacher and i taught here from 1981 until 
2010 when I retired, and then I continued as a long-term sub um, in both regular and special education, mostly working with younger students. So that's one piece. And the part about PTR to remember is that PTR doesn't really mean how many children are in a classroom. PTR means how many teachers are in a school and then it all gets divvied up from there. So uh, it's not always, unfortunately, you know, grade levels and children don't come in these, you know, like little bundles of, you know, 23 students or 26 students or whatever. So, so let's take up classroom size then. What are your hopes with it in this next coming budget season? Well, unfortunately, in the next coming budget season, I mean, we've been able to... Um, move our class sizes down a little bit by using the federal pandemic money is called ESSER funds. But we're coming up on the last year of those funds. So you know, we are, you know, I mean, at doc, uh, I'm anxious to hear about Dr. Mackey's revisioning because um, what I'm seeing is with the as Dr. Mackey has said, with essentially flat funding for since the early 2000s, I mean, give or take $30 per student, um, we've stripped out almost everything in the school's budget except for, you know, people and, you know, uh, Chromebooks. And, you know, I mean, and, and basically classroom materials and uh, programs that support the classroom. We probably, I mean, we have, compared to most districts, we have very few administrative staff. Um, it's, it's grim, you know, I mean, we have students, we have teachers, we have instructional materials. So and and as if the fun you know as inflation goes up and funding stays the same, we will have fewer teachers because that's where the bulk of our money goes. And I mean, we've stripped out most of our administrators, so you know, I mean, there's no you can't have half a principal. So, I mean, or half a superintendent. I mean, it just, it doesn't work out like that. So, I'm I'm really concerned looking forward. On, on, on the budget? Yes. Mm. Mackie, how do you feel on that? I forgot what the original question was. The original question was about class sizes. Uh, what, how do you feel that could be addressed in this upcoming budget season? <laughs> this I, I don't think it can we're going to have to increase class sizes again because that's the only place to cut um, um, people that don't know better will say no there's other places to cut but there's no places to cut we've got set we've got certain things mandated we have to pay for um, but when it comes down to it 
when it comes down to it, here's the problem. Our Constitution and the court cases that followed basically mandate that the state is responsible for the vast majority of our funding. If we raise money over the 20% allocated for for local districts, it's just sub, it's just subtracted per court order from the um, from the amount the state gives. So we can never increase our funding. We are stuck with the funding we have now unless the state increases the BSA. Period. We've essentially had a 30% cut. Um, we can't turn off the electricity. We can't turn off the um, the oil. Even if we mothball buildings, we still have to keep them relatively warm to keep them from freezing up and, and, and mechanically um, um, together, um, maintained. Um, we still have to replace roofs on them, blah, blah, blah. Those are fixed costs no matter what we do. Um, so the only thing to do is to cut personnel. And to cut personnel means you're going to be increasing um, um, class sizes. And I would like for us to get past that because I do think that we could find some efficiencies, but it's going to take some hard questions and hard prioritization. And I think the biggest thing we have to do is, and this is why I keep talking about a visioning, I can see about 10 different things that we could do to make ourselves more efficient, but it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is that we actually engage the public and let them know we've only got fixed amount of funding. A vast majority of the, pe of the people that live here are transient and they don't know how our fun funding works. They assume it's like where they came from. It's not. Once we present them with the problems, and we could say, look, do you want neighborhood schools or do you want more or a lower PTR? Do you want um, a STEM school specialization complex um, or do you want to go with just the same program across the district? What, what do we want to continue? Um, and I think to get that vision, what do we want our school district to look like in 2028 or 2030? Start war start defining that now so that we can then go in with the, the strategic plan and everything aligned to what that vision is, but also start making our policy decisions when a school building comes up for um, repair, for example, maybe take it offline while it's in repair and let those students float to other schools, which would then raise the number of students per building, which would give you less bulges because the more students you have, the more equalized you're going to, you're, the more predictable your numbers are going to be between institutions um, or between campuses. And little conversations like that could get us there. But that's not a proposal. That's just an example of one of many things we could do on a district level to become more efficient. Um, but then again, nobody wants their neighborhood school closed either. So what's more important, neighborhood schools or effective education? Now, I wanted to take up, you had mentioned facilities as well. I wanted to ask what your, what both of your hopes are to address repairs at the schools. It was, I'll mention for a moment, it was nice to see some folks working on the Riverbend roof a couple months back. But what more can be done in your view? Uh, Didi, we'll start with you. Well, it was nice to see folks working on the Riverbend roof um, because the Riverbend roof has been leaking and dripping into buckets in the building for, I don't know. Probably close to 20 years. Yeah, probably. I, 
from the time I went there in 2011. Um, so the you know with when the state backed off from its responsibilities for maintenance, um, it created a huge vacuum in terms of infrastructure maintenance. So the city and borough has been absolutely stellar in doing what they can do to help repair our schools. But it's, you know, it's a huge job. We have, we have uh, a whole lot. We have school programs in Marie Drake, and Marie Drake really needs an overhaul. Um, Mendenhall River School um, needs upgrades. I mean, they're walking on the same carpet that they put in when they built the school in the early 80s. And every other school in town has been upgraded uh, some twice since that school was built. And to that school's credit, I mean, the, the original construction on it was, you know, excellent because, you know, the roof hasn't been leaking there for 20 years. But it, it needs upgrades. It, um, our mechanical systems all over the district need upgrades. Um, phone systems need upgrades, you know. I mean, we have maintenance, you know, buying bits and pieces, you know, from resale companies on the internet to try to keep everything going. And that that's really not what we want for our, our buildings. But that's basically the position that we are in right now. So, you know, we we try to do the best with the finances that we have and that's all we can do but I mean it's we're, we're continuously falling behind and this is also a statewide problem not a Juno problem this flat funding is affecting everybody and in a lot of states it's already been it's already gone to court educational adequacy is essentially the civil right that's sweeping the nation right now whether you're Georgia Connecticut uh, Wyoming went through it at one time um, and I think we're ripe for it here I think we have to I I hear rumors from very reliable sources that Ketchikan is very possibly looking at doing another lawsuit if they do I hope we join them I hope we also find at least one REAA school to join them the, yeah. to define to find adequacy? Um, I haven't heard the specifics on it, but to address school funding. Gotcha. But ultimately, that goes down to educational adequacy because we cannot function. We cannot teach 25 kindergartners per class how to read effectively, period. And we in this district, we in this district have some of the best, have the best test scores in the state. But we're also the 49th or 50th, depending on which survey you're looking at. Um, uh, worst state for education. We're getting exactly what we're paying for. Our kids deserve better, and um, and I think it's about time for us to voice that we're sick and tired of it, 
and um, luckily we have legislators um, our whole all of our legislators are very very supportive of education our whole assembly is supportive of public education the problem is not here locally the problem is the rest of the legislature and frankly they realize that most people think it's the school board's fault that education is that PTR is going up no it is because you guys have not raised our PTR since two. Or sorry, have not raised our funding um, permanently in BSA since 2006, and we're doing the best with what you're giving us. And by God, you've shortfalled us about 30 percent, and we are just hanging on by our fingernails. And if Ketchikan wants to sue um, based upon inadequate funding, I say we jump in no matter what the actual specifics are. Bond reimbursement, great. PTR, um, uh, base student allocation and inadequacy, great. Um, but w- it needs to be catch a can um, and at least one REAA school, and then I would like to see us do it. Because unless we have an REAA school, I don't see us moving very far, far forward because the whole root of school funding today is based on civil rights for the remote schools and equal education across the state. So if we don't include REAA, it's not going to happen. We're, we're due for a break here, so we'll be right back. Stay tuned. And we're back with school board candidates D.D. Sorensen and M.L. Mackey. So we're out of the pandemic. This was roughly over a year of online distance learning. Would you say this had an impact to student learning? Uh, D.D., my apologies. <laughs> Um, My apologies, yes. Well, I think it definitely had an impact on student learning. I think it had an impact on, and, and I want to you know, speak more broadly here about student learning. Um, I think it had an impact on you know, reading and writing skills. I think it also had a significant impact on, on all of the other skills that schools work with and help students develop. I mean, basically like social skills, how to get along, how to engage and resolve disagreements constructively. And to do all those things, I mean, I'm speaking here as a kindergarten teacher, I admit it, you know, I'm a retired kindergarten teacher. But you cannot do those sort of group social things in your own home. You can be a really good parent and have, you know, work through all of your family things, but it's different when you, when kids learn to work through things with people they are unfamiliar with, who have different ideas than they do, who have essentially really different lives than they do. And I think that you know, on the back end of, you know, everybody going back to school, those are some of the things that we have become most aware of that we didn't really think about as students were coming back. I mean, we knew we needed summer school. We knew, you know, I mean, we got real focused on on the academics and we have in place a lot of people and interventions to help with, you know, students' um, social needs. But just the, 
the interaction piece, even, you know, even helping students with their own social needs, it's really important to have these opportunities to build in from the earliest years all these different um, strategies for getting along, you know, I mean... How to have a happy classroom in kindergarten. Uh, as, as a kindergarten teacher, that's, you know, one of the most critical things that you teach, along with the alphabet and how to count. And ML, what, what, what do you think? Well, I, I agree with what Didi's saying, especially with the younger kids um, that didn't develop the social skills and now they're coming into a classroom and they're dealing with other kids for the first time in their lives. Now, we've always had that, but I don't think we've had it to the scale um, where the social-emotional um, engagement with other peers um, um, was delayed, okay? Now, that being said, I believe that kids are extremely resilient and over time that will work itself out. Um, I'm fairly confident of that. What I'm more concerned of is that we also had learning milestones um, because this didn't just affect the school district, it affected all of our uh, child care centers, our pre-K centers and those milestones that we normally build up in those times, they were missed. So we're going to be really um, um, focusing and, and needing to focus um, on building those competencies um, um, at a later age than prior generations. And that to me is very concerning. It's concerning on an economic competitiveness um, uh, level as well as an interpersonal level with every single child. Um, but hopefully we can make it up. Um, this is not the first pandemic that the world has faced. It won't be the last. And um, my father's generation was during polio. And, you know, they did some of the same things that we did. And, you know, that generation, you know, they're, the, they're basically the, the greatest generation, depending on when you're born, greatest generation and, and baby boomers came, up, came out of that. And I've never seen a baby boomer say that they uh, weren't perfect. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, is there anything either of you would like to briefly add before we close out here? No, uh, I, I appreciate this opportunity to be here and talk with you today, Kevin. Thank you, Dee Dee. Uh, Emma? Yeah, I just, I just want to reiterate, we are, as a state and as a, as a, as a um, district, we're really at the end of our financial rope, and something's going to change. And... It may not be us that promotes the change, but I will guarantee you, if we don't start addressing this on the state level, one day an REAA school is going to declare indigency. When that happens, then they're just going to go, well, let's sue the state. And it's going to reopen Molly Hoot, it's going to reopen Kasuli, it's going to reopen all these cases, and it's going to be fixed for us. The legislature will be told where to spend the money by federal decree. Do we really want that to happen? I don't think so. So this is something the whole state needs to be talking about, not just us. We're all suffering through it together. Very good. Well, thank you both. Thank you, the listener. I am way out of time, so I'll leave you to Problem Corner. This is Kevin Allen for Action Line, signing off. <laughs>